Hi there, and welcome to the Engage Employee Podcast. There is an irrefutable body of evidence which proves that organisations with engaged employees have more engaged customers and as a result gain long-term competitive advantage. The cultural and commercial benefits of organisations taking a holistic view of their employee and customer engagement strategies are proven. For over a decade, we've helped some of the world's biggest brands engage with their workforce through our industry-leading conferences and online digital media. To find out more, visit engageemployee.com. In this episode, we sit down with David Schmidt, Senior Manager of Human Resources at The North Face. David is a progressive HR executive with over two decades of experience across all HR disciplines and numerous industries. His expertise is in curating an employee experience with the singular aim, improve employee satisfaction. We speak to David about what it's like to work at the North Face and more about recent projects and future plans. David, hello. Hi, how are you today? Oh, it's, a, it's a beautiful morning here in Denver, Colorado. The sun is just creeping into the sky and, and I feel like after listening to the, the last speaker that uh, the information's flowing. Yeah, well, you're making me feel very jealous telling me about that weather. It's a bit gloomy um, in the uh, Midlands in England, but never mind, never mind. Um, and you, uh, you, you enjoy it. Um, tell, tell us a little bit, David, to kick off, if you would, um, about your, your journey to your role and um, you know, what, what you're actually doing there at the moment. Absolutely. Um, so I have uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, we'll just call it 20 plus years of uh, human resources experience. Uh-huh. I mean, it's really run the gamut. Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to work for uh, brands that are big and, and well-known like uh, Disney, Westinghouse, Hyundai. Um, I've um, also been able to work across uh, multiple um, disciplines within HR. So heading up uh, everything from recruiting functions to communication and event functions. I um, mean, really, I've had a, a chance to get a, a breadth of experience. Um, I don't know, somewhere around six years ago, I kind of took a, a leap out of HR and, and wanted to apply some of you know, what I consider my HR philosophies around communication and leadership and things like that in a little more real-world um, opportunities. So spent about six years in experiential marketing, spent a couple years in customer experience, um, and have recently moved back into an employee experience role with the North Face. Right, right. Okay. And were you were you listening to a last but one speaker who was from Disney? I don't know whether you had an opportunity to hear her. Uh, I, I didn't. I just caught the very end of the last speaker. Oh, right, right, right. No, she was, uh, she was talking about Disney parks, so uh, really interesting stuff there. So um, given that breadth of experience, what would you say have been the experiences that have, during the course of your career, have most shaped your attitude and philosophy about internal communications today? So there are a lot of advantages to cutting your corporate teeth in a company like Disney that's well established. You know, I I know there's people that feel very hot and cold about their experiences there, but um, it is an organization that's that's well set up and and has, um, you know, a lot of policies and procedures in place. And so seeing a, a functioning communication uh, program uh, from the outside when I first started there uh, was very instrumental. The the gentleman who ran it at the time had a lot of personality. Um, He was truly the voice of the Disney Store corporate offices at that time. Um, And so, um, you know, watching him, how he was able to, you know, add his personality into what, you know, what could be some dry communications at time and and some uncomfortable communications at time as well. But you build that 
build that consistency, you build that relationship with the voice of the company, and it really helps in delivering messages. So that was the first sort of big lesson I learned in, in, in observing the person who um, preceded me by, by quite a few years. And then I think secondly, when I was at my second stint at Disney, I actually was hired into a manager of communication and events role. Um, and in that role, I you know, did everything from announcing new hires to writing speeches for the president. And both my, my leader, my boss in HR at the time and the president I was working with really reinforced that internal communication has to be about what your audience needs and wants to hear as opposed to what it is you want to say. I mean, we, I think we see this communication challenge outside of internal communications. A lot of marketing, uh, a lot of time, is very much marketing to the company, you know, executives that, um, you know, that are running the company. And it's, it's what we want to promote, right, as what we think is exciting when really we need to be, I think, asking our audience what they need or, or asking ourselves what our audience needs. That's the critical communication side. So, you know, being consistent, having that voice, and then really focusing on what the audience needs uh, more than maybe what you want to say. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, totally agree with you on that. And again, if we're thinking about a sort of thread that's been running through the day's presentations and, and guests and speakers so far, there's, there's absolutely been um, a recurring theme of, of actually understanding what your audience wants, um, really recognising that they perhaps need to be segmented and, and treated as you know, individuals. Um, and, and targeting that targeting your comms to their needs and wants, as you've uh, as you've rightly said. And, and personally, um, the other point about consistency of voice, um, I'm I'm absolutely with you on that. It's 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 so crucial to building trust, isn't it? Um, to have a consistent voice. Yeah, and, and and if we think about you know the the sort of the rules that everyone knows about text messaging and emails, you know, you you can't hear tone. Um, it's easy to misinterpret the message behind the message. And actually having that consistent voice and building that trust with that voice helps to eliminate some of that. So messages can be sort of accepted on, on, on face value without so much being read beneath them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you, you I moved out of HR for a little while during the course of your career. What, what, what took you out of the profession? So I, I, I think if, if you're able to flash back two years and, and from an HR perspective, professional's perspective, a lot has changed from what HR has asked to do over the last two years. And, and really my motivation um, comes from early in my career asking the question, why don't you see a lot of you know, VPs of HR moving into that CEO role? Um, you see finance people, you see, you know, if you're in retail, you see merchants, uh, merchandising people, even, even like planning people um, that really understand the business operations people. But leadership is so important and you rarely see you know, the HR function, take the leadership role in that company. And so that was part of my drive. I wanted to, you know, get into some other roles where I could leverage what I had learned in HR and actually implement, you know, some of the, the communication styles and the ideas behind what, what leadership should be and how leadership should go about leading their people. This was just an opportunity, opportunity for me to kind of get more hands-on, um, less philosophical <laughs> touches on this and more, a more hands-on approach. And so, you know, I, I went out and, and kind of became a customer of HR departments for a few years. And I, and I won't pretend that that's what my main motivation was, but that was definitely um, a big aspect of what I learned and has really formed kind of my reintroduction into HR and, and what I believe HR is going to be going forward. And that's just been exacerbated by the, the pandemic and all of the, the rules and, and safety protocols and things like that um, around you know, what work looks like these days. So HR has now really been brought into the fold. You know, we've been using that HR business partner title um, 
quite frequently for the last you know decade maybe. Yeah. I think it's really been over the last year that that companies truly understand the importance, or, or maybe I should say more companies truly under, understand the importance of that role being a partner to how the business is run. Yeah, so would you say that having been a, a customer of HR for a short time, that's given you real insight into how to be a better HR leader yourself? Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing in, in, in human resources that we have is we, we're privy to a lot of information. Um, you know, we have to be a, a very confident, uh, you know, keep confidence in this group. Um, this can be business information, obviously, the HIPAA laws protect personal information. Um, but because we have that information, we're in the know. And I, and I think it's easy for an HR professional to trip up and not realize what that feeling of unknowing, um, you know, not knowing what's next, not knowing what's happening or what's out there. I mean, so in, in my, my steps away, it really embedded in me the importance of the, the leaders in HR, whoever's managing that communication function, um, but really the importance of them for thinking what the employees are feeling, the empathy factor. Um, and it's not just about the, the knowing. Sometimes it's about communicating when you don't know anything to communicate, mm. but just keeping that line open as mm. well. So um, just really, this is going to sound maybe a little soft, but I really was able to internalize the feelings of what it's like to be, you know, that feeling of being left in the dark or that feeling of, of not knowing. Mm -hmm. um, moving back into HR again, right after the pandemic, I think that, uh, that those feelings have been exacerbated. Um, I know that I have coworkers that have worked remote for quite some time and others that are, are new to working remote. And it's, it's a challenge for companies just to make sure that those folks stay connected to the business um, you know, from a business standpoint, but also on that personal level, we're all connected to the people we work with in, in, in some level. Um, and so companies, you know, in, in my experience outside of HR, all of these things became more, I don't know, in, like really I've invested in them more because I felt them as opposed to just, you know, preaching about them yeah. from, the, from the HR standpoint. Yeah. Let, let's talk internal comms because that's um, very much what we're, what we're about at this conference today. Um, so... What do you think makes for an effective internal communication strategy? And can I just add a bit on the end of that question? Absolutely. Do you think it belongs to HR or should it belong with corporate, corporate comms or public affairs or marketing? Okay, well, now you're going to have me talking for quite a little while after that little <laughs> add-on there, Joe. Um, but um, so, you know, I talked a little bit about the, you know, my strategy, uh, my, my approach to, to internal communication earlier, you know, that, that consistent voice. Yes. Um, and, then, and then providing also what, you know, what it is that your audience wants. Um, but let's, you know, and, and, and again, we can dig into that as we go along and, and, you know, some ideas about what those communications look like. But to the, the second part of your question, who owns it? Um, this is actually part of, you know, my philosophy around effective internal communication as well. And, and I think the key is not someone has to own it. And, and I do believe it, it falls in HR. I think that we have access to information, you know, on a more, you know, complete basis across the company. Um, I think we have access to communication channels in a more complete way across the company. Uh, you know, the last gentleman was even talking about, you know, email lists and things like that. Those tend to be, you know, somewhat monitored within the HR departments that I've worked with anyway, or at least the policies around them. Yes. And so while ownership, and, and I think it does belong in HR, is important, the strategy of collaboration. So the the act of communicating, like the the you know the the uh, discipline of communication, is owned by HR. But what's communicated? I think collaboration is the key to effective internal communication. Mm. There's really 
some big advantages to this collaboration. You know, first off, you're, you're going to be hearing from subject matter experts. You know, I mean, I know a little bit about finance and I could write a paragraph up on, um, you know, the, the financial performance going into a town hall meeting. But if that comes from our CFO or, or maybe even better, it comes from like a manager in that department that's getting a moment to, to have their moment and show, you know, that they can communicate as well and, and you know, a, a leadership moment for them even better. So first off, you get the information from the subject matter uh, expert. And I think, you know, that that just adds some, some relevance to what you're saying and some authority to it. Secondly, there's a marketing effect to this, right? Um, you know, just like today on this call, you know, my friends want to come on here and, and, and hear what I'm having to say and the, and the people I work with. Um, you know, when I'm presenting something, you know, back in the corporate world, the folks in my department, they want to come to my presentation, even if they're not involved, right? Because it's a way of supporting what we do in, you know, training um, or in the HR department. Um, so there's that aspect. Um, but there's another part of collaboration, and I think this is key too. And, and people don't, I don't think people typically consider this in, in the collaboration aspect of communication, but it's that feedback. You know, I've, I've mentioned a couple times, and then again, I heard it before I jumped on um, with my voice here too, that you know, knowing what your audience wants to hear, um, even when they need to hear it, what's the best time to hear it, you know, all of those factors come into play with whether or not your communication strategy and even individual communications are going to be successful. So having that feedback is another form of collaboration. Your audience will tell you what they need to hear. Mm. They'll tell you more or less, uh, more frequently or less frequently, mm. um, if you just ask and then listen to what those responses is. So, you know, part of that successful communication strategy has to be, you know, that that um, ability to to collaborate in, in not just what's going out, but collaborating in what's being asked for to be included in that communication as well. Mm. Yes, no, I, I totally agree with you. Thank you, uh, David. So um, what would you... Goodness me, I, I suspect you've seen some changes um, in the internal communication landscape. And with the, you know, with the exception of the last sort of 20 months, which, you know, we, you know, we, could, we could spend all day talking about. But over the last couple of decades, say, what, what have you seen? What has been the biggest changes that you've seen in the internal comms landscape over that time? And, and are those changes for, the, for good? You know, are they good changes? I don't mean are they for good like forever, but are they good changes? Okay. Um, great question. So I, I, this is where I wish I could see the audience and see how many eye rolls I get. But I'm sure there's at least another person on this call that remembers those manila or blue inner office envelopes that had, you know, someone's first and last name and their office number, um, you know, written across it. You scrolled like 1,500 across the envelope. Yep. You always wanted the new ones, right? So you got to break in the first address line. You know, and working at a company like Disney, you know, early on, uh, you know, it's a it's a vast company with geographically dispersed, um, you know, heavy offices across the country and across the world. So, you know, we did a lot of communication through that inner office memo. Um, and even, you know, working in the corporate offices for the Disney store, um, you know, we had something like uh, over 200 stores at the time, we'll say. And so, you know, we had the four guys in the mailroom would spend a couple hours, a couple days a week putting, I don't know how many documents into FedEx boxes that would be now shipped out to each one of these stores. And so I would say the biggest change from then to today is just the ease and frequency with which we can communicate. Um, you know, there was no, oh crap, I forgot to uh, let everyone know that we're running this event in the stores or in certain stores this weekend. 
um, you know, you left a voicemail for all of those stores if you forgot to have that communication in the box by Thursday evening, so it could be there by Friday evening. Mm -hmm. And then you had the, the, the challenge of, of those messages being received by your local stores the next day. And the stores, you know, we're in Southern California, so the New York stores for Disney would get that message, you know, two days later or, or three days later. And so the change has really been about frequency and, and the ease of that communication. But you bring up a good question because I, I think the, the automatic thought is, well, if I can communicate more often, um, has it then made that us just, lazy? Has it made us lazy? Has it made it? That's exactly where I'm going to. I, I think there's definitely evidence that it has. Um, not everyone, of course, but yeah, it's like we don't have to think about, you know, I have one message to send to my team this week. How do I make sure the critical things are in there? And even more importantly, how do I make sure the non-critical things are either removed or pushed down to the bottom so they don't cloud up the message, right? Mm. And so in, in this fervor that we can now use email, I mean, it, I, I don't think I'm, we're a unique retailer. Our stores have email addresses now. So we can communicate with them, and, and we do daily. Mm. Um, you know, and, and there are a lot of changes, everything from sales to promotions to events and, you know, uh, inclusion and diversity topics, um, you know, recognition, recognition of rewards. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons to communicate. And I think what's happened is we get this mentality, almost like a text message mentality, right? Let's just shoot them five words real quick. And what can happen, even though the, we're following the rules of like a shorter message, so it can be consumed more quickly, you start to sort of uh, water down the communication and the importance of that communication coming from your you know, communications channel or your HR department or wherever that's coming from. Um, and so rather than having that one point uh, of communication, we know that one email is very important every day. We can easily get into something where there's 15 emails coming in. And then there's the accessibility that, you know, that email is not blocked from the other people in the company. Mm -hmm. So now there's more channels that can get in there. So now where it was an advantage to collaborate and have that voice, central voice, but with subject matter experts weighing in, now you risk the option of those subject matter experts going out, and then you maybe not, you're not all aligned on the priorities. So mm. while it, it should be a huge advantage, um, there is the potential that it could make us lazy and, and less intentional, I think is yeah. the word that I would use. But less intentional on our communication. We'll, and, we need to be more and disciplined to, and focused. Yeah, and, and, and again, if we're thinking about the audience, as opposed to just thinking about, I need to send this message real quick mm. and thinking about, okay, so is this message going to land with my audience when I'm sending it? And, and again, like this is reality, right? I'm working at eight o'clock at night because I had something else going on during the day. So I just need to catch up on my emails. I, you know, I, I honestly, I think less than 10% of our stores would even be open at that time. So that email is not even hit until the next morning. Like there's all of these different components that I think we've lost discipline around to use your words. Um, and so you know, just being more intentional on, on how it hits the audience. My leadership asked me to consider this all the time with, mm -hmm. with the training and, and the, the other information that I'm putting out. Consider the audience. Yes. So in, in my situation, and that brings, us, running a that brings us beautifully right back to your one of your first two strategies. You know, consider your audience, understand what they want, what they need to hear, and make sure you, you are intentional about, about giving it to them. Um, David Schmidt from North Face, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I'm afraid we're gonna have to leave yep. it there, but thank you. Have a good day. It's been a pleasure, thanks. Thank you.